0: Ever since the 1st tick tock of time, you brought order to a world undefined. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast.
1: Our, our teaching, teaching team, team is made up, up of men, men and women. women who
0: love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which, which our, our community, community responds. responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. Luke 11:1 1-13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Um, Like Steve said, I am Betsy. Um, I am going to set my timer so I don't keep us here all day. Um, My name is Betsy. I have been coming to Genesis for five years now, apparently. So that's exciting. I just sat on the mic cord, so if that threw anything off, just stop me. Um, Thank you, Nick, for reading the scriptures today. Um, This is a special privilege to be here with you all this morning, so if you would pray with me before we dig in. God, thank you for this space. Um, Thank you for the people that are in this room to gather with us today. Thank you for those of us in our community who are not here with us today as well be with them be with us as we unpack your word god may my words be from you may my words bring hope and truth to your word and your goodness today amen so let's set the scene jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray as jesus as john taught his disciples so I think it's important to set the scene. And I can just imagine it, right? We're this far into Jesus' ministry. I'm sure he had like his place, like that tree or that row in the synagogue or that place where he could maybe hide away from the disciples when he was had a long day and was over them asking questions. Um, parents, I'm sure you can relate to that certain place. Um, but my question when I first read this was why didn't they ask John? Um, That would have been a much more direct and practical option. Um, Maybe they wanted the insider scoop. Maybe they were just that unsure of Jesus's divinity at that point. Um, I grew up Catholic. I attended Catholic school all of my years, which meant that during Lent in elementary school, we prayed a weekly rosary. For those of you who didn't grow up Catholic, a rosary is just a um, string of prayer beads that represent different prayers um, that are prayed very um, rhythmically, meditatively. Um, so needless to say, I've prayed a lot of our fathers growing up. We learned early on to memorize those prayers, and as a kid, I can remember learning to pray those prayers as fast as I could, so I could get to recess a little early. I, I never understood why we prayed this way. It seemed disingenuine to pray these words so monotone and repetitive. It seemed to lack the bones that give it the real-life action that Jesus had throughout his ministry. But as I spent time with this passage, I realized that behind the words, this bullet point outline of this prayer has the potential for real life action if we uncover the courage to accept what it invites us to. So the prayer, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Once the presence of the Father is named, there's this request for daily bread. So first, maybe last all play of this sermon, um, but I don't wanna be the only one talking this morning, so feel free to shout out answers. Uh, What is the significance of this bread? Mm -hmm. Presence of life, yeah. daily. Daily, it's not just one time, right. Absolutely, absolutely. The manna was like this unexpected, different than they they desired, nourishment for the journey, right? Yeah. You would die without it. Yeah, exactly. It's sustenance that's required. Yeah, bread is significantly sacramental in the text since the time of the Exodus when the Hebrews left slavery in Egypt. And Like Joe had mentioned in the Old Testament, the Israelites received manna each day, which is daily nourishment, maybe a little different than daily bread, but daily nourishment that fueled their bodies for the journey. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not an ask for personal provision or security. I've had the honor of preparing the bread for this place. It seems like a simple errand to get the bread, slice the bread, and be sure to get to church on time to set the table. But for me, I found myself reflecting each Saturday when I was at the grocery store or in my kitchen slicing the bread, and I've thought of all of you. I've thought of our time together on a Sunday. I've thought of the significance that this bread represents to nourish and to bless one another, the presence of Jesus in us and among us, and it's been really meaningful to me. There's also a process to acquiring the daily bread, to gather the ingredients, wait for the bread to rise and bake and then break together. It almost seems like there's a privilege to be able to bake and break bread together in community. I wonder what it looks like for a community to ask for nourishment and blessing for each other and in the greater context of community. So we've broken the bread and now we ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness for ourselves before we are instructed to ask for forgiveness of one another. So raise your hand if you have prayed to our fathers growing up. What did you grow up with? Anybody who grew up with sins? Trespasses? Yep, debts? Anybody? Anything else? Sins, trespasses, debts? Um, the definition of sin in Hebrew as used in the Old Testament can be defined as missing the mark. Missing the mark, straying off the path. Perhaps we could pray, forgive us when we miss the mark, and help us forgive others when they miss the mark as well. I think that's a beautiful way of praying this prayer and seems so much more holistic. I mean, surely I have missed the mark and I can certainly think of times where others have missed the mark towards me and with me. Reading the passage this way reassures me that I can be forgiven. When I chose this passage, My hope was to talk about prayer and the table and glaze over the whole forgiveness part. The last thing I wanted to talk about was forgiveness. It's not my strong suit. It settles awkwardly in my gut, and yet the more that I looked into this passage, the more this phrase jumped out at me, which made me realize that it's time to have that conversation. As we've said it before, in it together. I believe that those who are healed help heal others. I believe the only way we can begin to forgive others is when we can somehow believe that we ourselves are forgiven. The topic of forgiveness could cover a year's worth of Sunday sermons, so I won't even begin to scratch the surface. And I know it's a tricky topic. It can carry a baggage of bad theology and deep trauma and wounding, and for that, if that's what you're holding this morning, I'm sorry, and I am with you. The ask to forgive others as we have been forgiven by the divine will appear an unthinkable task for many of us, and if the weight of that is on your shoulders this morning, I'm sorry. A Sunday sermon cannot begin to unpack that for you. So let's talk briefly about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Perhaps that's the hope, but forgiveness can take place without reciprocation from the other party. And forgiveness doesn't ask us to condone or condemn. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Ween's helped me along with this quote that forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Corey Tenboom says that forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and finding out that prisoner was you. Forgiveness, as it's laid out in this prayer, follows the request for kingdom come. It follows our daily bread, which means we get to bring it all to the table. Not before we're fed, not before the kingdom come. We are not commanded to leave our pain, our shame, our inherent missing the mark nature at the doorstep, or in our cars, or at home. We're told to bring it to our prayers. We're invited to bring our resentment, our unresolved anger, our doubts to the prayer, to the table. And just as the nourishment of the bread is for us and is communal, so is forgiveness. Forgiveness is for me, forgiveness is for you. It's for all of us together. So as a community, when we have been wronged, can we pray this prayer? As a community journeying, yes, as a community journeying together, can we invite God into our hard work of forgiveness? The provision of bread leading to forgiveness leads me to another table in Psalm 23. It's a familiar passage for many of us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a passage we often talk about to remind us that we're shepherded, led to green pastures and still waters, and then it takes a turn in verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How I first imagined this passage was a feast that follows battle victory. Good wins. I'm obviously on God's side. I mean, why else would I be asked to sit at a table with my enemies if not to rejoice over my victory before them? But recently, I was studying this passage with a group of friends where we discussed the word enemies. We traced the word back to its root in Hebrew, which can also mean narrowers. Narrowers, much like the word Egypt, the narrow place of slavery. I'm notorious for my facial expressions. And the night of this study, I had buried my head nearly into my feet to hide my face because of what this study stirred up for me. See, a table has two sides. So if we feast before our enemies, our narrowers, we share the table with them. Not just feasting with them, but this passage says anointed with a cup overflowing. This psalm that once brought comfort and assurance now brought unsettling discomfort. I thought the good news was that I conquer my enemies and feast before them. Certainly I am the one who has been narrowed, but what I realized that night was that I am an enemy. I'm a narrower, I've made people to feel less than. Have you ever avoided the table because you fear the unsettled business that awaits if you take a seat there? Have you ever avoided the table because you hold the weight of feeling unforgiven or unseen and that clouds your ability to see the feast that awaits you? Psalm 23 is still a poem that reminds me that God is a good shepherd and provides. And that there is room for both of us at the table. There is a feast for all of us to share and perhaps the table is where we meet for forgiveness. Which means that I too have to face the reality that I am an enemy. And that the tables that I sit at are before those whom I have enslaved. And that there is a good God gracious enough to set a table for both of us. That I may join them because I believe the table is for us all. It's for those like us and unlike us, it's for those who narrow us and we consider enemies, and it's for those who consider us to narrow them. This table could very well be our family at Thanksgiving, our community picnic, our workplace, our living community, perhaps its church on a Sunday. Forgiveness is for fractured communities that invite us to the table each week because forgiveness requires some good sustenance to fuel our work. In our current political climate, in a society wrought with tragedy, we often offer our prayers and support. And this prayer outlines a course of action we can take with one another. We can recognize the places in our life we are provided for, and we can offer provision to one another. We can acknowledge the ways that we have been forgiven by way of grace and mercy or societal privilege. We can humbly come to the table with those who we have narrowed, with those who we have consider enemies and dine with them in a way that recognizes that they bear the image of the divine, and so do we. As I was putting together this sermon, I heard a podcast by the late, great Rachel Held Evans. She was discussing the sacrament of the Eucharist, and she says... I believe that the sacraments are most powerful when they are extended not simply to the religious and the privileged, but when they are extended to the poor, the lonely, the marginalized, and the left out. She goes on to say that extending sacrament, to realize it's not just about me, a pretty privileged white female opening the table to the marginalized, it's actually about me being in the margins with them, having them serve me communion me getting on my knees, receiving communion from them. A few years ago, I was given the opportunity to travel to Israel, Palestine. Weeks before the trip, we spent time studying all of the tenets of the conflict. And when we were there, we spent time with peacemakers on all sides of the conflict with eyes to see the other with love. Not without conflict or complexity, but with a lens to see one another as bearing the image of the divine. And one evening when we were there with just our group, we broke bread together in the ruins of a church in a Christian village. Megan, one of the women we traveled with, asked us to take two pieces of bread. God with us, she said, Emmanuel. God with us, Democrat and Republican. God with us, Israeli and Palestinian. God with us, fundamentalists and deconstructionists. God with us, believers and skeptics, God with us, rich and poor, God with us and with those who we're in conflict with. And then we took communion twice, each hand holding a piece of the bread. We first served those to our left to serve those with us, our allies in our current conflict. And then we turned directions and we served our enemy, blessing them with the same blessing of God with us. The blessing wasn't lost in either direction, but we remembered, we took, and we rejoiced together. This prayer, as Jesus taught us, is not a one-time event, a response to an altar call or a gift to receive and hold once for eternity. This prayer begs our return, which means we will be hungry again. We will miss the mark again, and we will hurt one another, and we will be hurt. And I find that liberating. To understand that this isn't a one-time sacrament, but an ever-present, ever-available, ever-welcome returning. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. This passage ends with a parable. The young Betsy who prayed the rosary also prayed for things that were not given to her. There are things that I have sought for and I'm still seeking and have yet to find. And let me tell you that the doors that I have knocked on have not been open like I thought they would be. And a lot of the time that's really disheartening. It's doubt-filling. Leaves me with gut-wrenching disappointment. It's felt at times like I didn't have enough faith or hope or love. And the absence of those things and the study of this prayer leads me to wonder if it's because it's just more than me and God in a quiet time together. That the asking and seeking and knocking is because my desires are actually beyond myself. It's with one another in community on this journey together. I'm not sure where that lands with you or any of this lands with you this morning, but I hope it opens you up to more wonder than angst, more curiosity than doubt. I think the parable that Nick read is a reminder of God's availability to us, of God's response to our persistence, of the potential of what could happen when we keep asking, we keep pursuing, and we keep expanding on this instruction of prayer. I'd like to keep wondering what Jesus means when he says we will be given what we ask for. We will seek what we look for. And I certainly hope that the doors that we open will be met with a holy greeting on the other side. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for provision. Thank you for community, and one another. God, thank you for the courage to forgive and for pursuing us in our forgiveness. Be with us as we come to the table. Amen.